That one's on. Okay, great. Uh, afternoon, everyone. Uh, thanks very much for welcoming me and my wife um, to your church once again. Um, so I was introduced already. I'm Daniel, as in the lion's den, but thankfully not in the lion's <laughs> den today. Um, we gathered amongst the brothers and sisters, uh, which is a great thing. Um, we've come from Cambridge this morning. Um, yeah, it's just a great privilege to once again be gathered in the Lord's house together with our fellow brethren, lifting up our praises and our worship to our God and sharing testimonies and, and just being in God's presence. I think it's a great thing and a great privilege that we can all do. Um, thanks to our brother for leading. He opened with a great couple of verses which are some of my favorites from Philippians chapter 4 which is a reminder they say be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving make your requests known to God and then there's a great assurance and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord that's a great comforting reassurance to have that despite all of the things that we go through which we do both bad and good in this world we can cast them all onto God's uh, onto his throne where he sits in glory and will be assured of his peace his amazing peace which we all need this morning so let me um, just start with a prayer uh, before we dig into what I'll hopefully be talking about Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Uh, you've gathered us together. Thank you that it's such a great privilege that we can gather so freely uh, still in this country. Um, thank you for the praises that we've sung to you already. May your, uh, your name, your word, your goodness and glory be on our hearts, not just for the rest of this day, but for the rest of our lives until we see you again in glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, what I'll be talking about today, it's a, I thought I'd preach from a psalm. <clears throat> and there are lots of psalms, aren't there? Um, and it's such a, a great treasure chest of goodness, uh, reminders of the Lord's love, of his grace, of his peace. And they contain so much, like, depth and gold that despite whatever situation we're in, there's always something in there, as in the rest of the Bible, that we can read to either be encouraged, to be challenged, to be encouraged, and also to learn from, to learn more of our Savior's love for us. So the psalm that we'll be looking at is Psalm 113. That's 113. <coughs> um, and I'm sure it would be a good idea if I read that out. Uh, the version I'll be reading from is the New King James Version. Um, so Psalm 113, it says, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down. The Lord's name is to be praised. 
The Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth? He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap, that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. He grants the barren, barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. I think that's one of my favorite songs. They're all good, but I think we're all allowed our favorites. Um, it is obviously, as you've heard, a psalm of praise. And it's one of the six uh, psalms in the book of Psalms which form what the Jewish people call the Hallel. It's the group of psalms which are, used to be sung and probably still are sung at Passover, at the time of Pentecost and the Feast of the Tabernacles. That, that word Hallel, it's like the, the group word of praise psalms. So this, as we've heard, is a praise psalm. It's a burst of praise toward God. The first three verses tell us to praise God day by day in every situation from the rising to the setting of the sun. And the following six verses, they give us reasons to praise God if we needed any reasons to praise God. What is praise? I think it's, it's one of those Christian words that we throw out so often but we don't always like fully understand and acknowledge what praise is. In some Christian circles, praise is, can I say, confined to the part of the service where they sing like the, the happy clappy songs at the start of a service. Praise can be singing, and it is, and we can praise God through our singing. And I think there was such a wonderful noise of praise earlier when we lifted up our voices in song. Praise can be singing, but it is a lot more, and it's a lot, a lot richer than just singing. The Hebrew word uh, for praise used in this psalm is holal. You'll have to pardon my pronunciation on that and a bit later on, but it can mean to sing. It can also mean to celebrate, to boast in or to boast of, and to give glory and honor. Praising God can mean all of those things. But I think what's most important is when we praise God, it has to be clear and with clarity. You know, there's a lot of things uh, in our lives that when we praise God, these earthly things can get in the way. We all have a phone that we, we're always flicking. There's always something in our mind. Oh, is there something I forgot to do at work? Is there an email I forgot to send? Something like that. There's always worldly distractions aren't there but our hearts and minds need to be clear when we're praising God we shouldn't be distracted our praise shouldn't be mixed with earthly things it should be like a clear trumpet blast pure and not mixed with anything else the opening verse of Psalm 113 praise the Lord 
Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. We're called to praise God as his servants. As servants going about our master's business. And there, I, I guess in today's world, there's a bit more... Well, we're not used to calling ourselves servants in day-to-day -day life, are we? But we shouldn't be ashamed of calling ourselves servants because we're servants of God. We're not servants of man, but we're servants of the living God, aren't we? Even the Apostle Paul in some of his books, some of his letters, he calls himself a bondservant, a slave of Christ. And it's far better to be like a, a lowly servant in the kingdom of God than a ruling master in this world, isn't it? In this fallen and perverse world, there's far greater things in God's kingdom than that. We've been bought by the blood of Christ, haven't we? It's our duty to praise Him. Well, it's our duty out of thanks to praise Him for all that He has already done for us. Our praising of God, it should be like our natural, uh, our go-to setting. It's not something that we should like, have to fight towards to do, but it should be our natural thing. Just as breathing the air, we should breathe praise to God. Verse 2, it says, Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. We're to praise the Lord now, today, tomorrow, and the, the remainder of all of our days here on earth, however many that may be. We're to praise Him both now here on earth and also in heaven, which one day will be. And I think that gives us a clue as to what heaven will be like. It will be a place filled with the sound of praise, constantly and endlessly. The praise of countless believers, countless brothers and sisters, all of those people who've been redeemed and united, not by the things of this earth, but by the Lord Jesus Christ. We all walk and march under the banner of Christ, don't we? He is what unites us. Verse 3, From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. The first verse of Romans 12 reminds us that our life should be as a continual living offering and sacrifice of praise to God. That verse is said from the rising of the sun to its going down. And I don't think there's anything that stops the sun from rising in the morning and setting in the evening, is there? It just happens continually by God's will, doesn't it? And in the same way, there's nothing that should stop us, or can stop us, from praising our God. Granted, we may and do all have our own struggles in this world. We have our own troubles, our own temptations that we must battle against. But through the bad times and through the good times, when we're feeling like we're on that mountaintop and can see for miles wide in the bright sunshine, 
or when we're in the deepest, darkest valley. Through all of our singing and through all of our suffering, we have to keep praising God. We are encouraged to keep praising God. And over the past couple of years, especially with all that's happening with uh, COVID, I can imagine there'll be many people in here who've suffered much, who've lost either loved ones, jobs, relationships, things like that. We can turn on the news (coughs) and see all of the destruction and death across the world in Ukraine and other places where people are suffering, where they're crying out for something. And it's so easy to feel down, isn't it? But I think that's the important thing about praise. It's not when we're feeling 100%. It's not when the sun is shining, when we're on that mountain peak, when, we're, when life is good, when all is going our way. Of course we praise God and thank God in those times especially. But we don't stop praising God when, when we're not in those times, do we? When we're tired, when we're broken, when we feel like we don't want anything to do with God, in those moments, it's the more important for us to praise God for all He has already done in our lives. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. God wants and desires our praise, which is another reason why we should praise Him. So why do we praise? Why should we praise God? For one, we praise God because of who He is. Verse 4 of our psalm says, The Lord is high above all nations, His glory above the heavens. It speaks of God's perfectness, His perfect holiness, that He's so like different from us, He's so set apart from us, He's so completely perfect and good. His kingdom is in heaven, but He has complete sovereignty and rule over us and this world too. He's perfect, He's good, He is bright light. He's also just. We in our sinfulness, God is in His perfectness. He cannot tolerate anything sinful or any sin, no matter how big, however small we choose to quantify our sin. All sin is detestable in God's sight because He is so holy. And for, I think for us in our, um, in our limited minds, and I can speak for myself there, uh, God is so unimaginable, so unquantifiable. He's so big that our minds can't understand like a percent of what God is about, of what, how good God is. He's indescribable, isn't he? I just loved a couple of verses in Isaiah 55 which say when God says for my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways says the Lord 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. If his glory is above the heavens, then there's nothing on earth that can fully comprehend the fullness and goodness and grace of God fully. And there's no power on this earth that can ever come close to God's power. No earthly kingdom, no empire, past, present or future or nation can come close. Not Solomon in all his wealth or wisdom. No pharaoh of Egypt, no emperor, no president or prime minister of today can come close to God's rule. All of these ones on earth are temporary after all. They all fade, they pass away. They're here today and gone tomorrow. But God remains. His kingdom remains forever. And God is above all. There's a, a hymn called Above All. And it says, Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you're worth. <clears throat> Verse 5 of our psalm says, Who is like the Lord our God, who dwells on high? He does dwell on high, doesn't he? He has his throne in heaven. He rules with complete power and full authority. His kingdom is immovable, unshakable. There's nothing we can do to like knock him off his throne because he sits in victory already in splendor and majesty but more importantly than that he is not a God who is idle or who withdraws himself from us I don't think we if we admit that we're not perfect if we admit all of our sin and how far short of God's glory we have fallen I don't think we could complain even if God decided to stay up in heaven. And we, I don't think we could complain if he chose not to know us. But that's not the case. He does choose to know us. He chooses to love us. He chose to come to earth. He chose to send Jesus, his son, to know us, to love us, to die for us. That's why we can call him Emmanuel, God with us. He didn't just stay up there in heaven, minding his own business. He chose to come down into our lives and to help us. The first part of verse 6 of our psalm, following on from verse 5. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the Hebrew word for that word humble is sure fail. It means to depress, to bring down, to sink or humiliate or make low. And that's what God in Christ has done for us. There's a wonderful few uh, verses in Philippians 2. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, and coming in the likeness of men, 
and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. That speaks of Christ's immense humility. And there's so many stages of that humility, isn't there? We have the all-powerful God in heaven. He gives it up to become lower than the angels. He then takes on flesh as a man, as you or me. Not just a man, though, but as a lowly bondservant, a slave to the world. He was wrongfully convicted as a criminal, wasn't he? He was beaten and mocked by those he came to save, he came to love. And he suffered a death. Not just any death, but a death on the cross. And all of that he went through without complaining. He went through willingly on our behalf. And I think that humility it goes far beyond anything that we experience or anything that we put ourselves through. It goes beyond uh, giving up something on someone else's behalf. It goes beyond giving up our time to help in church or other things like that. And it even goes beyond admitting when we're wrong, doesn't it? And I know I'm terrible at that one. Christ completely laid himself down for us. Like uh, emptying a jug of water, he emptied his life through his humility. And we can see in the Bible other examples of people suffering, like Job, for example, who suffered much, who lost much. But even Job's physical and spiritual suffering cannot compare to what Christ went through for us. Christ put himself through so much on our behalf. He emptied himself so that we may be full, that we may be filled with his life, with his righteousness. He did all that for us. I'll continue with verse 6. Who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. He humbled himself to know us. I think it's amazing that the God of all creation would humble himself to know little old us down here on earth. That Christ went through the brutality of the cross. He went through mocking and beating and scourging to know and to behold us. But it wasn't just to know us, it was to save us. Verse 7, he raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap. We are all poor, we are all in great need. Maybe not materialistically, but because of our sin, we are in such a dire spiritual need that there's nothing that we can do about it. When we sin, we break God's laws, we go against God, we break His commandments. We're spiritually bankrupt and without help or hope. We can never hope to pay off that debt of sin, can we? 
because the penalty and price of our sin against God is an eternal death apart from Him. Hell is a real place. But Jesus came first and foremost to help us to deal with that spiritual need that we all have. No matter how good we may uh, feel, no matter how holy or righteous or religious we may be, that we may pretend to be even, God raises the poor out of the dust. He raises us out of the dust of our sin where we lay lifeless, convicted. He lifts us out of the ash heap or dunghill, as other versions may have say. And that signifies just the real mess of our lives without Christ. The sheer filth and dirtiness and depravity that we have created for ourselves in our disobedience, in our disbelief of God. It's Christ's work alone to both raise and to lift us. And in my version that I read, it says, He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap. Why does it specify that we are both raised and lifted? I think those two words today, they're very similar, aren't they? We can use them synonymously. (coughs) But there's a very important little difference. The word for raised in in the Hebrew, it means, or it's uh, translated as kum. It means to rise, to be helped up from a lowly position, to be strengthened. And I think of it like a child who has a a child, a, ch- a parent who has a child who's fallen into the, into the dust, onto the floor, and the parent lifts them up. They raise them, the child, to their feet. And then the word lifted, it means room, which is very similar. So you have kum and room. Room means to be exalted, to be extolled to lift upon, to promote, to set up on high. So after raising that child out of the dust, up from the floor, don't just put them back on the feet, but they're lifted and like put on the parent's shoulders. They've been raised from the floor to further than they were before, onto a higher place. And that's what Christ has done for us. We're raised out of our lowly place and we're lifted into his high place. This is God's mercy and it's God's grace working together through Christ's work on the cross. Through his death we're raised out of our death, out of our sin, our shame, our slavery. All of that we deserve if we're not in Christ. But God has withheld all of that from us in his mercy. And he directed it towards Christ on the cross. And beyond that, through Christ's glorious resurrection, 
we also are lifted high into his wonderful and everlasting life. We receive forgiveness, we receive his righteousness, we receive his freedom, and that is his grace toward us. We who are under the curse of God, we haven't just had that curse removed, but we've been placed under God's permanent blessing. We who were once enemies of God haven't just had that enmity removed, but we've been brought into close fellowship with God. We've been adopted into his family as sons and daughters through the shed blood of Jesus. I think that's one of the great things about our sister's testimony. I think we're all in some way, in many ways, broken by the things of this world, by our sin. But God looks past that. He adopts us as we are into his family. No matter what we've done, no matter who we are, no matter our past or what we're capable of or not capable of, God adopts us in. He accepts us. He receives us fully. We are his sons and daughters with all of the rights and privileges that that comes with. Verse 8. That he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. That's the high place that we're set up on with. We're set up high with princes after God lifts us from our lowly position. We're seated with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, where we become heirs of the kingdom. Not any earthly perishing kingdom, but God's permanent, everlasting kingdom. It's the case for everyone who puts their trust in Christ, who turns from their sin and turns towards a welcoming God through faith. God's kingdom will contain people from every walk of life, every tribe, tongue, shape and size, from the vilest of sinners to the biggest of Bible names like Abraham, Moses and Peter. There will be people who look as different as is possible. I think even this church is a good representation of what God's kingdom will look like except on a much bigger scale. That's where we are to be set up on high when we see Christ again in glory. And the important thing is we don't set ourselves up there, do we? We can't lift ourselves to that high position because we're down there without Christ. It's all God, 100%. We can't save ourselves from our sin. We can't earn our way to heaven. We can't put ourselves up there. We also can't maintain that salvation, can we? That's also fully God. And our final verse. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. He welcomes us to a home filled with countless saints and angels. It's a picture of great joy that we can look forward to. 
And it's a picture of great joy when we know that our identity is not in our job, not in the things of this world, but in Christ, grounded and rooted in Christ. He never fails us. The things of this earth may do. The jobs don't last forever. Relationships don't last forever. Christ's kingdom does last forever. And we will be with him one day in glory forever. <laughs> that last verse, it reminds me of God's uh, promise keeping, one of his great attributes. Especially when he uh, granted Abraham and Sarah a child in their old age and barrenness. Though they'd waited years, they were both very, very, very old. God's glorious promise came to fruition. Our God is a promise-keeping God. No matter how extreme His promises may seem, no matter how impossible they may be for us or the world to keep, we can put our full trust in God, no matter what we go through. If we're in Christ, we've already been lifted from our darkness and raised up into his glorious light. He promises as well to be with us forever. Not just when we meet him in heaven, but on this earth too. Right now, he promises to be with us and to never forsake us. He promises to keep us secure and rooted and grounded in Him and in His grace until that day when Christ does come again in glory to bring us to heaven. And it's so amazing that that offer is available for everyone. Every single person whose faith is in Christ. I think I can often struggle with <clears throat> having a mindset to praise God like this psalm uh, tells us to do, to have that constant mindset of praise, not just at some parts of the day, not just on a Sunday morning or afternoon, but through the, the mundane things of life, doing your job, eating breakfast, whatever it may be. But I pray that this psalm both to myself and to yourself, serves as an encouraging reminder that in all things, in all the good things, in all the bad things that we go through, that we should praise God for what He has done for us, for what He is doing in our lives that we may not see right now. May it serve as us as a reminder to praise our Lord today tomorrow, and for all of our days. In Jesus' name. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your unending goodness to us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace to undeserving sinners like us. I thank you, Lord, for raising us out of the ash heap, for lifting us to be seated with our brothers and sisters in Christ in heaven. Thank you, Lord, that your promises will come true, that in Christ all of your promises are yes and amen. Thank you, Lord, for saving us, 
but doing what we could not. We thank you for the forgiveness that we have in you. We thank you for wiping us clean. And we thank you that just as we uh, partook together of the bread and the wine earlier, that we proclaim your death and resurrection all the days of our lives, Lord. Thank you for all that you have done in us. We pray that you continue to bless us, that you continue to bless this congregation, both here physically and on Zoom and wherever else. We pray that you continue to lift us up and may we be strengthened as we try to lift you up in our lives, Lord. May everything we do be as praise to you in our work, in our relationships, whatever else, Lord. May we seek to be witnesses and faithful ministers of your word in this world as you have called us to be. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.